back in. Come on back in and get your seats if you're still getting coffee. Hurry up, we're getting on, we're going into the message. I uh, hope you've got some plans this weekend to take some time and relax. If you haven't made plans to relax, let me encourage you. Take some time to relax over the weekend. You need it. We all need it. We're starting a brand new series called In God We Trust. Say In God We Trust. I want to start this thing by going um, pretty deep from the get-go, and then we're going to go really practical, okay? So buckle up with me. I want, I want to get into something really just kind of like below the surface, just right from the get-go, and then we're going to quickly come back up, uh, but we're going to get into Scripture, especially in First Timothy, if you want to go, go ahead and get in your uh, Bibles there. And 1864, anybody remember 1864? No, because none of us were alive, but 1864, about 159 years ago, check my math, I'm not sure. In 1864, Congress approved a measure to add the words, in God we trust, to our coins. That's, that's when it happened, in 1864. And on July 30th, 1956, the 84th Congress passed a joint resolution declaring that that phrase, in God we trust, would be the national motto of the United States. And you're like, what's the motto? Nothing. What's the motto with you? <laughs> Lion King. There you go. The resolution to make this the phrase passed both the House and the Senate unanimously and without any debate. Now, if you know anything about Robert's Rules of Order or parliamentary procedure, that's an incredible statement right there. No debate, no discussion, passed in both houses. And in 1957, the phrase, in God we trust, made it to our paper money. If you have a dollar bill, pull it out, look on the back of it. It says, in God we trust. There's a lot of theories as to what the motivation was behind this. Uh, probably the long-standing one and the one that is most accepted is that we are a nation of, of people that were founded on Christian values and principles. There's also things that have been going on in our nation and around the world since before the ancient Greeks and even the philosophers of the Middle Ages. The phrase, in God we trust, was also an effort to combat what's known as secularism. Secularism goes far, way far back. Our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, Although they were in that first Continental Congress, they, they were also big secularists, meaning that they put their hope not in the things that are unseen, but in what humankind can do. Secularism says that we, we put our hope into something we can see. And many people, many scholars believe that the United States, by putting in God we trust on the money, and in our national motto was in direct defiance to secularism, saying that there is a God, there is a being, there is, there, there, is, there is a power beyond what we can see and bigger than who we are as a nation. And secularism has a child and a grandchild that have settled into our psyches over the years. The child is modernity. Modernity is basically the idea that our condition today is different than all forms of past human existence. What people dealt with in the past are not the same things we deal with today. And there's some truth to that. We deal with things today that people before us did not deal with. Apps. 
right? We deal today with many different things, but modernity says that we cannot look to the past to find our way into the future. And then the great grandchild of secularism is this idea called the imminent frame. And that basically says that what is right in front of our senses, what is right in front of what we can see, hear, taste, touch, smell, that is the only thing that really matters. Nothing else really matters except the things that we can engage with. And there's no room for mystery, no room for spirituality, no work for faith. And these philosophies, I told you we were going deep first, but we're getting ready to hit the eject button, okay? These philosophies and these thoughts and these things... They live no room for mystery or spirituality. And you can find in the writings of Charles Taylor and even more modern day today, Andrew Root. There's, there's this psyche, and they're not creating this. They're simply calling out what is seen in humanity. That there are, is no real room for miracles unless they can be explained by what's in front of us and our senses. That we as human beings are in complete charge of our destinies. If it is outside of what we can see and what we can experience, good luck, because that doesn't really make it into our modern mindset. And this especially affects how we see money. It especially affects how we see wealth and riches. And in a capitalist society, because we see things that way, we are prone to believing that we will never have enough money. If you have enough money, or if you believe you have enough money, you are the minority. Because most folks that I talk to, or that I counsel, that I meet, there is a common thread. If we need more, we need more. So, hit the eject button. I wanted to just kind of ground us with some of that starting out. Let me give you a disclaimer in this series, In God We Trust. We are going to talk about money. We need to talk about money. And if it's your first time here or your first time in a long time, I'm so sorry that you chose the money week as your first week. So I get it. You're like, oh, great. They're going to talk about our money. Well, here's my motive. God has a way of redeeming our vulnerabilities. God has a way of taking our vulnerabilities and our life and bringing blessing and more life than we have ever dreamed of. And a lot of times that's just on the other side of obedience. And so today's sermon is titled, if you're into titles, it's titled Rich People Problems. It's one of my favorite things to preach about. I've been preaching on this topic, I think, since I, I, I became a pastor. Because what Jesus talked about money so much. If you look in the Gospels, if you look through the stories of Jesus, money was the thing that he used as a metaphor more often than anything else. And he said grandiose things like, wherever your heart is, your affections, your emotions, wherever that is, your money's right there. Show me what you spend your money on, I'll show you what you care about. I think it's true today, right? I mean, show me what you spend your money on, and it'll indicate what you care about. Same thing with time. Show me what you spend your time on. And I'll show you what you really care about. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's objective reality. It's data. And some of us, we would rather just kind of sink into feelings and emotion. And those things are, but feelings and emotion, God created us that way. 
But God also created us with brains to think and to look at data and to look into, uh, you know what, if there's evidence, if I'm buying 27 caramel frappuccinos a week, the evidence is there that I really like them and they mean a lot to me. So let me start out by asking you a few questions. When you were a kid, think back to the time when you were a kid. Being a kid during the summer, taking your bike and riding far away from home. Maybe some of you are so young or or young enough where that's not your your pastime. I'm sorry, I'm an 80s kid. So when I was a kid, we would put bicycle, I mean, uh, we would put baseball cards in the back of the bicycle so it sounded like it had a motor, okay? And we would, uh, me and my buddy Barry, we would ride, I I, I call him Barry because that's his name. We would ride way off like behind our houses into the ravines and into the like we we it was amazing think back to the time when you were a kid and you daydreamed and you imagined did you ever imagine now this is not going to sound like really spiritual but just go with me did you ever imagine what it would like to be really filthy stinking rich Anybody, anybody remember the 80s show Silver Spoons? That dude had a train in his house. A train with a track in his house. I thought it was awesome. Anybody when you were a kid dream, daydream about being filthy, stinking rich? Come on, where's all the heathens here with me, with your pastor? Yes, I dream. thank you. I dreamed of being filthy, stinking rich. Put an indoor bowling alley. I want to pull when I was a kid, I, I thought that if you had stairs in your house, that meant that you were rich. Like, I can remember it to this day. I was like, man, if we ever get stairs, we have made it. Here's another question. Who got their wish? Who today is filthy, stinking rich? Come on, let me see you. A, 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 a hospitality team, make sure you put the offering basket by that person a little bit more next time we take offering. All right, all right, all right. Who knows somebody who is filthy, stinking rich? They got more money than they know what to do with. Yeah, they know. Yeah, keep them up. They like, like we love them. We love them, but we're like you're filthy, stinking rich. Who thinks you would better at being? Who thinks you'd be better at being rich than most celebrities? Than the Kardashians? Are they still celebrities? I don't even know. Dua Lipa? I don't know. I may have just said something like, I may have cussed and I don't even know. (laughs) Who thinks you'd be better at at being rich than most politicians? Most celebrities? You manage things better, right? Here's here's my question, and and I have a, a, a very professional drawing that was commissioned for this service alone. It's called the rich line. Doesn't that look impressive? This is the rich line. Look at the rich line and don't answer out loud. But it goes from zero dollars, I just put it to $10 million. You can put $10 billion if you want. But how much money do you have to make in a year to be rich? Don't answer out loud. This is you personally. How much money do you need to make in a year to be at a place where you're rich? And we're going to come back to this and we're going to look at this over and over and over. Because the rich line is going to give us some indicators of how we think and how we live and how we feel and even how we trust God. Today, I hope you'll hear from God's Spirit. I really hope that you'll hear God say something to you like, 
You know what? You are rich, and God has blessed you with more than you need because I believe that for you. Regardless of your current income level, I think you can come to grasp onto this truth that God has provided for you because if we don't hear from God's Spirit, here's, here's, what, here's what I'll have. If we're not careful, we'll live in a way where we'll only be living with rich people problems. If you'll put that picture back up on the screen one more time. I don't know how much you make a year. Let's just, let's just say you make that right there in the middle at $100,000, okay? Most of us would be like, man, I'd love to make $100,000. Some of you make $100,000. You know what happens when you hit that $100,000 mark? The rich line goes even further to the right. For those of you that make $75,000 or $50,000 or $25,000, there was probably a time in your life where you was like, you know what, if I could just make $50,000, it would be okay. And now you're making $50,000. But when you answer the question, what would it be like to be rich? It's like, I, I need to make, I need, I need seventy-five. dollars I need $100,000, I need $200,000. Here's, here's, the, here's the danger of the rich line. It's always moving. No matter how much we get, and this is the danger, there's a lot of blessings, but here's the danger of living in a capitalist society, that we will grow up and we will get old and we will go through this life feeling that we never have enough. Somebody's always got more toys. Somebody's always got more money. And what I really want you to walk away from today, if I could just program your brain and do like the old men in black thing and make you remember, you know, something with a flash. It'd be this, that God has provided for you. And I also want to be sensitive because there's many of us struggling. There's some of us, man, we've got people in our church living out of their car. There's some people in our town that are, are living in a tent, but the truth even applies to people who have been struggling financially, that God provides. There's this passage where Jesus is talking about a providing God and he says look at the birds of the field look at the lilies look at all these creatures that God clothes and feeds and cares for how much more valuable are you there's a pastor by the name of Andy Stanley who wrote a book several years ago called how to be rich and it rocked it rocked my way of thinking about the blessings of God It's a great resource, and it's a tiny little book if you want to get into something, studying the riches of God. To build a foundation on this, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 17. It reads this way. Paul is talking to Timothy, a pastor. Here's what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in what? Wealth. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. To put their hope where? In God, who richly provides us with everything. Why does he richly provide us with everything? For our enjoyment. Now, that seems a little bit odd. God provides everything for what? God wants us to enjoy what he provides. God wants us to like stuff, like provision. 
enjoy it, go through it. I thought that Christians had to live humble. Like if there's a good parking space, Christians got to take the back parking space. And some of you are like, I've never been that Christian. I've been thanking God for that parking space for so long. One of the first things I see here in this scripture is that apparently Timothy, this pastor, is dealing with folks who are rich in this present world and they've been arrogant in putting their hope in that wealth. Does that sound like anybody you know? Somebody who puts all their hope, their happiness, their sadness, their state of being, their hope for the future, whether they're going to live or die, whether they're going to be happy or distraught, depressed or anxious, and the, and the riches of this world. Paul's saying, another way to say it is, don't put your hope in the rich line. Don't put your hope in the line where all of, all of the riches are at. You know what? You may have worked hard. Don't put your hope in the rich line. You may have saved and been faithful. Don't put your hope in your own faithfulness and in your own savings. You may have lived beneath your means for decades. Don't put your hope in that reach line. You may have invested well. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope there. Why? Because ultimately you have to recognize that everything you have, everything you have, is a gift from God. Everything you have, say that with me, everything we have is a gift from God. Your talents, your skills, your abilities, your mind, the air you breathe, and yes, your wealth is a gift from God. Every blessing you have comes from God. And I've, I've used this here before. We're going to use it again. Every blessing that we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn into pride. Say that with me. Every blessing that we don't turn back into praise has the potential to turn into pride. Arrogance. That's the first thing I see when I look at this verse from Timothy. Let's go to the next verses. What does he say to do and said? Command them to do good. To do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves, a they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. And what is that last phrase? Willing to what? Share. Oh, that's socialism. Actually, that's Bible. Socialism, socialism. These are the words of Paul to Timothy. Willing to share. One thing, it's one thing to say what we think. It's one thing to say, you know what, I'm not rich. You know what, I, I have been blessed by God, but I have so many needs. It's one thing to say, you know what, I don't spend money in, in ways that are arrogant. I don't trust it. It's one, way to, it's one thing to say what we think about stuff, but data, real, real trackable, traceable data is the real storyteller when it comes to money. Because a minute and a dollar are kind of the same thing that you can only spend at one time. 
You're not getting back the time that you put into that project or those people or that thing for God. You've invested it in something. You're not getting back that dollar you spent on that Coke or whatever. Paul tells Timothy, command, them to, command people who are rich in this present world. All right, well, let's, let's take a step back from that and let's just look at some data. In Stanley County, 13% of the people in our county live below the poverty line. The poverty line is where a family makes less than $30,000 a year. That's the poverty line. 13% of our people in this county live below that. And of that 13% of people, 20% of all the kids in our county are below the poverty line. If, if we break that out, that's $575 a week for a family of four. That's Anybody above that line would be considered rich in this present world of Stanley County. If you look at the world and not just our small little geographic chunk, World Bank data tells us that over, over 43% of the world lives on less than $6.25 a day. That's $2,500 a year. Almost half of the world is living on less than six fifty a day. And here's the challenge. The challenge is that if we don't look at reality, then we're just going to compare ourselves with the people who are around us. We're just going to compare ourselves with the neighbor down the street or the, or, or the person at the school or the family that just went on the vacation. We're just going to compare ourselves to the people in the news feed. And what I want us to do is I want us to take our focus and I want us to broaden it to Stanley County and I want us to broaden it to the rest of the world. Because if we just compare ourselves to each other, you know what we're going to be in danger of? We're going to be in danger of having rich people problems. And if, because if we don't feel rich, if we don't feel blessed, we're going to do everything in our life to try to be blessed, to try to be rich. And one day we're going to actually pass the rich line and we won't even realize how blessed we are. Because when you get rich and you don't know it, you just kind of default into living in a world of just rich people problems. I don't want that for you. Let me break it down a little bit further. When I was waiting tables back in uh, 2000, I didn't even know how much I made a year. I mean, do you, do you remember what life was like in your early 20s or your late teens? Like, somebody asks you how much you make a year, you're like, I don't, I don't know. Income tax, well, I, I ain't doing that, you know. And then you start, like, learning, like, oh, I better do that, because if I don't, that's, that's going to be bad. I, I just remember, like, when Shona and I were engaged, I remember telling us talking and, and I mean, thinking, like, you know what, if combined, if we can pull in between thirty and 35000 a year, I think we'll be good. Like, even if we have kids, we'll never, we won't need more than that. Well, you know what, a couple decades, some kids, a mortgage, college loans, and more later, guess what? 30, 35 a year doesn't seem like that much to us now. It seems like we are much more into trying to make more than that as people. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money. It's when we put our hope in that. Like these days, instead of just like 
one stream of income, we're actually thinking how we can create multiple streams of income. So today I have good news and bad news for you. Here's the good news. Get ready. It's the good news. This is the good news. Write this down. Get ready for it. It's going to change your life. Get the pencil out. Get the pen out. Nobody has pencils. I know. Get the pen out. Get the phone out. Open the notes app. Here's the good news. Are you ready? Here's the good news. You are rich. You're rich. That's the good news. Deafening silence in the room. There was no hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, amen. There was, like, I heard a little tepid, amen. It's like, I don't want to believe that. Why? We feel bad if we think that we're rich. Like, there's no virtue in saying, yes, I'm rich. For some of us, there seems to be no truth to, yes, I'm rich. But here's the thing. You really need to believe this because you have rich people opportunities and rich people problems. What do you mean rich people opportunities? Well, here's rich people opportunities. If you have kids, you can take your kids to the libraries and you can expose them to any book on the planet through the interwebs. You can take your kids to the zoo. You can sign your kids up to play sports, cheap sports. Like you don't have to pay that much to get your kids into sports. You can sign your kids up for music lessons. You can make sure that their teeth are straightened. You can get medical care. You have access to really healthy things like ice cream. You can save time with money. Instead of washing your car by hand, you can just pay 12 bucks and drive through a car wash that waxes your car as well. Most of us could afford to buy a Chick-fil-A meal for a family of four. You can buy very dangerous luxuries like vapes. You can buy vapes and sweet shop clown cookies. Hallelujah to Jesus. And you can slowly kill yourself and then pay for the care of a doctor as you eat your way into diabetes and prescription drugs. You have rich people opportunities, and this is a very gift of God, especially the clown cookies. God has blessed you in significant ways. It changes your heart when you believe this, that I'm blessed. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is the gift of God. We've now read from two scriptures. We can build a theology on this because it's not just found in one place in the Bible. We've read from two places where God wants you to enjoy the blessings. He wants you to enjoy them. And I know some of you are pushing back and you're like, preacher, listen, no, I'm not rich. You don't understand. You may be a rich guy, but I'm not rich. And I want you to understand that you are rich. Let me give you two more statistics. In Stanley County, if you make more than $25,000 a year, which by the way, is about three dollars to $5,000 less than the annual salary average. So the average person in Stanley County, one person makes around $30,000 a year. If you make more than $25,000 a year, it's about $500 a week. You're in the top 6% of wage earners in the world. 
6%. If you're one of the mega, mega rich people in the world, you earn more than $80,000 a year, and you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. See, we have this idea that rich just means like Bill Gates or Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. No, the top 1% in the world makes 80000 or more a year, and that includes retirement, that includes passive income, that includes assets, that includes a salary of your wage. Top 1%. And I want to be sensitive because I know that there's some of us that have very significant financial challenges right now. I know some of y'all are racked with medical bills and unexpected debt through no fault of your own. And you have no idea how you're going to climb out. I know some of you aren't employed right now and it's very agonizing to you. I know single parents working multiple jobs trying to feed the kids and it's very difficult. But, but again, let's be honest. Just for a moment, go with me. What do rich people problems look like? Rich people get into their cars and they drive past 10 restaurants on a Sunday afternoon and get into passive-aggressive arguments that sound like this. What do you want to eat? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't care. Okay, well, then let's go to Taco Bell. Taco Bell? Are you kidding? I'm not going to Taco Bell for Sunday lunch. There's a pic of Taco Bell that was supposed There we go. Yeah. There's all the places to eat in Stanley County. We can go to Jay's. We can go to Blue Bay. We can go to Pizzanica, Pizzantica. We can go to the Wing Place. We can go to Harmanco's. Can we go to Harmanco's? I don't know. Is it open on Sunday? I don't know. Let's drive by. No, let's call. No, let's Google Maps. No, Google Maps isn't going to tell us one way or the other because it never gets updated. You know, we have these conversations in Albemarle. Rich people have homes for their things inside of their homes. Garages for cars or storage. Closets for their clothes. They have tiny homes just for their clothes. Or they use their closets and their garages just for more stuff. Rich people pay money every month to businesses with subscriptions so they can do things like run on platforms that move. Rich people pay for luxuries like getting their fingernails and their toenails attended to by someone. Or they actually pay people to rip body hair out of their skin every month. Rich people have to have Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, Peacock, Spectrum TV app, and the internet and electricity and air conditioning. And they have to have these things everywhere they go. We can have them right here. My car better have air conditioning. We won't even stay at an Airbnb or a hotel unless we have those things available to us. And I don't say these things to shame us or to make us feel bad. Remember, God wants us to enjoy the blessings that we have. I say them to make you aware. In this present world, you are rich. I say these things because the biggest problem for people, people, is that we are tempted to consume everything God gives. We are tempted to just consume it. Consume it, consume it. And what did Timothy say? Not to put their hope in the riches of this world. Not to be caught up in it, but to do what? To be rich in doing what? Doing good deeds. If we get more, we consume more. And some of you are very, very, very rich in this present world, but you don't feel like it. Because it's all consumed. And God says, compare, command those rich people to do good at being rich. Not just to think that it was all for them. God, God wants you 
to be good at being blessed, at being rich. He wants you to be good at it. He doesn't, he, God did not give you everything just so that you could consume it all. God gave you every blessing because every blessing that you just consume and that you don't turn into praise to God and to thanksgiving for, to God, it has the potential to turn into pride, into arrogance. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. God has blessed me with more than I need. I'm rich. Can we just say those two words, I'm rich, together? I'm rich. You need to believe this. We are rich, and that is really good news. Now, that's the good news. Here's the bad news, okay? The bad news is this, and I'm sorry that we gotta, we got to end on a downer, but the bad news is this. You're rich. This is the one of the greatest spiritual disadvantages that you will have. You're rich. There's a story in the Gospels. There was a rich, young ruler. So rich, young, influential power guy. We already don't like this guy, okay? Rich, young, no. You got to work for it, baby. I already hate this guy. This is the type of guy who, who invested in crypto or had like some kind of crazy Amazon hack and he became a millionaire by the 20, age of 22. We hate this guy. But we want him to come to our church and tithe. You know. Rich, young, that's jokes, people. Rich, young ruler. Comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to follow you? You know what Jesus says to this guy? He says, sell everything. Sell everything. Give it, give it all to the poor. You know, this is the only time in Scripture where we see Jesus look at somebody and say, sell everything you got. Get rid of it. Why did Jesus say this to this guy? Because his things, his, his wealth, his things had him. And here's the thing. Here's the reason why Jesus says this to this guy. God is not opposed to us having nice things. He's opposed to these things having us. God's not opposed to us having nice things. We just looked at scriptures for where we, God wants us to enjoy blessings. He is opposed to things having us. Jesus looked at him and said, Luke 18, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because all of our hope, it's so common, it was even thousands of years ago, it's so common for us to put our hope only in what we can see, feel, taste, touch, and smell in the right now. And it's hard for somebody when they have everything that they feel like they need to put their trust in God. How hard is it for people in a country where 90% of the country is well above the global poverty line? They don't even realize, we don't even realize we're rich globally. It's become such a way of life, such an expectation, such a thing for us to consume. How, how very difficult is it for us to escape the trap of modernity or the trap of secularism? Or the trap of this idea that only what is in front of me is what matters. Three big challenges for rich people and then we'll close. Here's the first one. It's hard for rich people to depend on God. Kind of already made this point. I was in Bolivia with Compassion International years ago and we were at a church. And we were eating lunch. 
and some folks in the church prepared lunch for us pastors, and we were grateful, and we were like, oh, cool, great, you know, and then they had one of the compassion children, one of the people who were supported by the generosity of others. They had this child pray for the meal, and this child prayed for the meal and thanked God for the meal that day because they didn't know where their next meal would come from because they only got one meal a day at the Compassion Center. This kid, when, when she prayed, give us today our daily bread, she was actually praying for bread. And in that moment, while I'm standing there with these other pastors, I started thinking, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. And I don't know how many people in my life actually are praying for bread. Even my homeless friends here in the county know where to get bread. It's so much more difficult for a person who has their needs met to, that, that's considered rich to trust God. Here's the second big challenge for rich people. Wealth distracts us from true priorities. Some of us are so rich, some of us are so blessed that we are blessed to have rich people distractions. Some of us are so blessed that we really only need to get together with other Christians to worship like once every month, and we're good. Because you know what? We've got other distractions. We've got season tickets. We've got the lake weekend. We've got beach all summer long. We've got kids in sports. We've got all these different distractions. And the idea of meeting together weekly, and it's just like in our world today, this is, this is a common thing. Like once, twice a month, and we're good. Like every week, that seems a bit much. We've got all this other stuff going on. And, and then years later, I've got a parent in my office. Excuse the rant for a minute. I get a parent in my office that is crying, saying, my kids don't love Jesus. And inside, I'm thinking this, but I don't say it. I'm thinking things like, well, you, you didn't prioritize the meeting of Christians and the gospel in your family. What you prioritized was doing all the things. And listen, my kids are in sports. My kids are doing things. But even the preacher's kids don't want to be in church as much as we have them in church. But you know what? I hope my kids understand how deeply important faith in Jesus is. And I am not, I am not putting our family up as a model for you to copy. Dear God, don't you dare. But I am saying you train up a child in the way that child will go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. And if you train your child up in busyness, 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 and we just kind of fit in faith and we fit in God whenever it really just, we don't have a full weekend, that's the way that child will live as an adult. We're just looking at data, and I'm not shaming, and I'm not trying to make us feel bad, but we, we as people, we are distracted so much by our wealth by our opportunities. And some of us haven't sat down and looked at what are our priorities for our family and in our life. Third thing, third challenge, my last one. Third challenge, we don't understand that we have a greater vision in life than our own advancement. What do I mean by that? I mean that as a, as a follower of Jesus, the vision for my life is greater than just me, what I can accomplish, my 10-year plan, my five-year plan, my track. Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. Command people to be rich in good deeds and generous and be willing to share. 
The bad news is there is more expected of us because more has been given to us. Man, we need to internalize that. There's more expected of us because more has been given to us. I can't tell you how much it moves me that I get to pastor a church that has a grander vision, a bigger vision than just what we can consume. This summer, we invested in that summer camp, and 52 kids got saved, and 11 of them were baptized. That's awesome. We got to work with the schools to make sure kids had the supplies that they need, and we got to give it all away at a big party. We just heard how East Albemarle, those kids, they need earbuds, they need earphones, they need dry erase markers. And we were able to take them down there and hand them out and to give them to them. I'm so blessed to pastor a church that sponsors missionaries and mission organizations locally and around the world. And why do we do this? Because this is what rich people do. This is what followers of Jesus who are rich does. Why? Because we know that every blessing we don't turn back into praise has the potential to turn into pride. Stand with me. I want to pray with you. I want to start with this question. Do you connect with the idea that there has to be more? What do I mean? There has to be more in this life than just what I can put into it. There has to be more to this life than just the rat race, just the rhythm of work, sleep, eat, go on vacation a couple times a year, repeat. Do you you resonate with this idea that everything belongs to God? And so when it comes to managing the blessings of God, we probably need some very serious intentional help or we're going to fall into a trap of believing that we'll never have enough. Well, here's the first thing. In two weeks, on September the 17th, we have a very practical, relational, hands-on opportunity called Financial Peace University. There is a a cost to it, as there are costs with everything, but we also have several scholarships available. I want to encourage you. If you need to get some things in order, or maybe you just need a refresher, you need to be grounded in like some biblical intention around the blessings that God has put on you. Here's another thing. If you're up to your eyeballs in debt, you've not been managing the blessings of God well. Man, this will help you. It's very practical. What's, what's that little square there on the left? It's, it's called a QR code. Put your, get your phone out and just take a picture of it. It'll take you to a website. Or go to our app. Go down to sign-ups. Child care is available. Like, we're trying to take away every excuse for people in our church to not show up. We're trying to take away every excuse. Child care is available. We have scholarships available. What have you got to lose? I guess more money. Take advantage of that. Take some wise steps to leading your family in financial freedom. Next week, we're going to get more into more into how we do that. But here's the prayer I want to pray over you. Do you connect with this idea that there has to be more than what we're being told? Because that's what Jesus says. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundant.
So I want to pray that over you. Would you close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you? Today is a day where I'm inviting you to connect with Jesus in a very practical way. Some of us here today, just by the very uh, topic and the discussion and hearing about Jesus' abundant life and hearing about how much we've been blessed with.